You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Happy to have you guys worshiping with us on this Memorial Day weekend, um, and happy to have you worshiping with us today on Trinity Sunday, as Reese mentioned earlier. Um, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and the Sunday following that in the church calendar each year is Trinity Sunday, where we uh, recognize and celebrate the, 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 the revelation that God is three in one, that God himself is a community, is a relationship. Um, and so today for Trinity Sunday, I've got a message for you guys called Fuel for the Journey. Um, years ago, before uh, Angela and I recently moved here, we moved back here about a year ago, um, 13 years prior to that, we lived in Augusta. When we first got married, we lived here for about six years or so. Um, and, and one of the things that we always love to do together, and then we eventually ended up loving to do with some friends and family and things like that, is we love to go camping. Any people here that love camping? Anybody hate camping? I alienated half of you already. Yeah. <laughs> You don't like being dirty. Um, but one time, us and some friends, we caravanned up to the Cahutta Wilderness, which is right up on the border of Georgia and Tennessee. Um, there's a really cool area up there called Jack's River Trail. You can actually hike across the river and things like that. You cross it a bunch of times. Um, but this time, we just, went, we just wanted to camp in the campground. And so um, it was just a fun few days. It was beautiful. So we caravanned up there in several vehicles. Uh, but on the way home, maybe, maybe only like an hour or so into the like four and a half hour drive, um, we got split up. And, and somewhere north of Atlanta, like in the middle of nowhere, one of the cars was running on empty. They needed gas. They needed it fast. They needed it bad. And this was before, this was before cell phones were like super common, right? Like if you had one, it was just like in a big bag, like on the floorboard of your car or something, and you had to plug it into the cigarette lighter. So I don't know if, if they just waved us on like we could keep going or if Angela and I just didn't notice or something like that. Um, but they pulled off. We kept driving. We got home, and then a few hours later, like into the evening, a, a good friend of ours who had ridden in that other car calls us, and he is so mad. He is so annoyed at the driver of this other car. They had just gotten home, right? Somehow, their like four and a half hour drive turned into like eight hours or something. And so this is what happened. They're, they're, they're driving down the road. They need gas. They're in the middle of nowhere, and like you do, you, you pull off on the side of the road, and there's this single like run-down gas station with like old, like vintage-looking pumps and things. The kind of gas station you don't want to have to stop out unless you just, you have to do it. And so they're running on fumes, so they had to go with what they could find. Um, and so with their tank filled, they started to head back on the road, hoping to not stop again for the next three hours or so. But they never even made it out of the parking lot. As soon as they start pulling out of the parking lot, something is clearly wrong with the engine, like disastrously wrong with the engine. So they stop. And you may be guessing, this young lady, I don't know what happened, but she mistook the gasoline pump for the diesel pump, right? Like, she filled her car with diesel. And I don't know how you do this. I've had one other friend that did this one time, and the way he pulled it off was he had to go get a funnel out of his trunk so that it would, because the nozzle's too big, right? I don't know if she did that or what, but her empty gas tank filled it up with diesel. And that could be disastrously uh, uh, damaging to an engine, so it's good that she didn't make it very far. But they had to call a local mechanic um, who came out there with one of the special pumps to completely flush out the engine, and then they could fill it up, and then they got home. So our friend was like really, really mad that he rode with that particular person that day. Um, but what I want to talk to you guys about today in this message is this idea that just as cars are designed to run on a specific kind of fuel, so are we as human beings. 
And it's just the same way. We're, we're designed to work on certain kinds of fuel and not others. And before we read a short passage from the Bible this morning, why don't you pray with me? We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, we, we come to you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather. God, we thank you for, for your spirit that shows up, that you are present in our worship today. And we just acknowledge your presence already here in the room with us. And those of us online worshiping from home, that your, your presence is with us, even in our, our living rooms or wherever we are. God, we thank you for, for your scriptures, that by them you have revealed yourself to us, that you continue to reveal yourself to us, and so much of you is a mystery, uh, but, but, but we thank you that we always can see and hear new things. So we ask this morning by your spirit that you would open up our eyes and let us see, that you would open up our ears and let us hear you. And that you would, God, direct us and show us how to have fuel for the journey. Yeah, so let your voice speak loudly this morning. I pray that your voice would speak more loudly than my own. Amen. Amen. So here's one of our texts for the day. This is the main text we're going to be looking at. This is Romans chapter 8, kind of right smack in the middle. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought, you out of, about, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, this is an incredibly rich passage. It's an incredibly rich passage. Um, but I want to point out two sort of important contrasts that Paul brings up here, things that he's kind of holding up against each other. And the first contrast is this, is that there are two main fuel sources that human beings can run on, right? We kind of have two basic options. And the first of these fuel sources, Paul calls flesh, right? And the Greek word for this is sarx. Everybody say sarx, because it makes you sound smarter when you say other words in other languages. And, but what he's getting at here is sarks, if I could kind of put a brief definition, is it's the basic energy of human life that comes from within our own selves. This is our default, all right? This is, this is the well that we are all born drawing from. When, and whenever we start losing steam, this is, this is the default tank that we pull up to in order to keep on going. Right? From, from our flesh, from our sarks, this is this where flows all of our physical, emotional, intellectual, volitional, and moral energies. Right? Our sarks is the driving force behind all that we just kind of naturally do or feel or think or desire or, or bring to bear on the world around us. And now, this is not necessarily bad, right? It's sort of, it's helpful as far as it goes, but unfortunately, it's inadequate, Paul says, because of sin right? The sark sort of does what we need 
for life, but it's kind of broken. It's, it's the diesel that we're trying to put in our gasoline engine. We were designed to run on something different, but the diesel is the best we can pull up to in Podunkville, North Georgia somewhere, right? It works, but not without doing some damage. And so, but Paul goes on and he says, though, that in Christ, one of the, one of the parts of the good news about Jesus is that we have a, access to a new and better fuel source, which is indeed the fuel source that we were designed to run on. And he calls this one spirit, right? In Greek, it's pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. There you go. Um, and this is the basic energy of divine life that comes from within the triune God. If Sarks is our basic life that runs our energy, right? Then pneuma is the energy that runs God. And from this flows all of God's physical, emotional, intellectual, volitional, and moral energies. God's pneuma is the driving force behind everything that God does and feels and thinks and desires and brings to bear on the world. It all flows from his pneuma. This is, this is God's default. If Sarks is our default, pneuma is God's default. And it's the energy by which God has existed for all of eternity past. More than that, the picture that we get in the Bible is this, that the pneuma of God, this is the energy by which he created all things. It's the life that he breathed into human beings. It's the incarnational energy that, that caused the Virgin Mary to conceive the Christ in her womb. It's the same energy that flowed in and through Jesus of Nazareth as he preached and it performed miracles all over the place. It's, it's that same energy that flowed back into the dead body of Jesus after three days. It's the same energy that will one day resurrect our own bodies to be like his body. And it's the energy that will one day renew and reunite heaven and earth under the rulership of Christ. And there will be one kingdom of God and one reality where Christ is king over everything, right? This is the energy. Now, what Paul is trying to communicate, that massive amount of power, right? That, that, that just uh, unimaginable fuel source. What Paul's saying is, is God's very spirit, his pneuma, his own fuel source that's so immeasurably powerful, dwells within his children, like, like now. Even now. This is what the Bible teaches us, that we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the divine pneuma of God. And when his spirit then comes to take up residence within us, right? This is why we celebrate things like Pentecost last week and Trinity Sunday today. When, when his spirit comes to take up residence within us, when we're adopted into his family, we then begin to live differently because we are fueled by a different and new and better fuel source than we had been running on our entire lives. And if you know, you know. Do you know that? I can remember that when it first kicked in. Do you, do you remember times when you stopped being fueled by God's pneuma, right? And you could just feel yourself like, and then you encounter his presence again, and he fills it up, and suddenly, like, the room becomes brighter, right? Birds are singing again, you know? Sunshine's coming through the cloud. Like, it's just, it happens. If you know, you know. Now, if you don't know, if that sounds weird and like all kind of woo-woo to you or whatever, right, maybe today's the day that you can taste that for the first time. For every single one of us, there's that first time that we pull up to that fuel pump and we're like, maybe I should stop using diesel, right? Maybe today's the day. There'll be invitation uh, for a prayer afterwards. If you would like to pray to receive Jesus, 
right? Be filled with his spirit. It's amazing. So that's the first thing, right, that Paul points out. But here's the deal. When Paul contrasts flesh and spirit, I think this is really, really important for us to get, okay? So if this is a little bit heady and nerdy, just accept it. Not because it's right, but just because it's worth thinking about. I think it's right, though, too, right? When Paul contrasts flesh and spirit, he is not saying material is bad and non-material is good. Does this make sense? Usually when we hear the words flesh, we think body, material, stuff in this world that you can touch, taste, smell, and hear, and all that kind of stuff. And, and when we hear spirit, we think like, woo, it's just floating around, you can't really see it or anything. And so we think he's saying that material stuff is bad, non-material is good. That is not what he's saying. That's called Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism was a Greek philosophy, started gaining notable popularity in the first century around the same time that this letter was being written. By the second century, Gnosticism's tried to like start cozying up to Christianity, right? Because it sounds like it could very, be very Christian. You could read stuff by Paul and be like, oh yeah, material bad, spirit good, you know? Um, and, and, but by the fourth century, it's condemned by a heresy, but that hasn't stopped it. Even in our culture today, Gnosticism is very, very alluring and can seem like it's very Christian in some ways. The fundamental worldview of Gnosticism is this, is that material existence is flawed and evil, and the only thing that is truly good or of value is spiritual knowledge, right? So especially for a tradition like ours, we have a lot of roots in evangelicalism, right? And we have a lot of intellectualism that goes along with that. And we think just learning more is good. And that's the only goal of it all, right? It's very tempting to believe that and downplay God's physical creation. This is not what Paul's saying. What Paul's drawing our attention to in this passage is the source from which our life is energized and sustained. What energy is it that is getting you down the road? So there's two main fuel sources that human beings can run on, right? A second contrast that he brings up that's really, really important with this is that this is a matter of life and death. Did you catch this, right? If, if you live by the flesh, you will die, but if you live by the spirit, then you will live, right? He's not mincing his words here. And, and this is like in the same way that choosing the correct fuel for your vehicle, the incorrect fuel for your vehicle will, will not only slow you down, but it could eventually stop you in your tracks. And if you keep trying to go, it can do damage to your engine. So it is with our lives. If we run from a fuel source that we were not designed for, this is the destructive nature of sin, right? And just as filling up our cars with gasoline can allow us to have a quick, like uneventful and even fun road trip, right? In the same way, so will our lives be more worth living if we're living from the best fuel source. Life and death, as Paul's talking about them here, life and death do not refer to destinations. What he is not talking about in any way is the afterlife, okay? He's not talking about heaven or hell. He's not talking about these two options of where our journey might end up, but rather he's talking about the quality of the journey. What kind of life are you living here and now? What are the, what, what's the quality of the trip that you are on? He's not primarily talking about where our journeys end up, but how we get there. And if you read the preceding chapters of Romans and even keep reading on after that, not until about chapter 15 when he starts talking about the resurrection does he actually start seeming like he's talking about the afterlife. His whole concern here is how do we live here and now? He's not focused on the afterlife, but the here and now life. And is it really life or does it feel like death? I have this as an aside. This is not in my notes. So any Walking Dead fans in the house? 
You don't have to raise your hand. I won't tell the pastor on you. It's okay. Here's, I have a theory about why our culture is so fascinated with zombies. And I think it's because somewhere deep down, they are us. You know what it's like to live but not really be alive? Right? Do you ever watch, just watch people around you and think like, are they gonna try to eat me, you know? Like, I, that's just what I think. Something deep down in us knows we are bodily alive, we can move around, we can do these things, but are we really alive or not, right? Because even as Christians, guys, here's the thing, this is where we'll get to. Our tanks run empty, and which fuel pumps are we, are we pulling up to to try to keep going on the journey, right? Are we enjoying the fullness of a pneuma-empowered life, or are we just grinding it out in a Sarks-empowered life? what Paul is challenging us with. So there's two main fuel sources, Sarks and Numa, flesh and spirit, and it's a matter of life and death. Now I want to get to you guys some practical things in just a moment. As I mentioned, this is Trinity Sunday, right? Where we draw our attention to God revealed as a community, God revealed as a relationship. He is Father, and He is Son, and He is Spirit, and they are one and the same, and yet they are also distinct and this passage is one of the readings in the lectionary for today because it is, just, it is fully Trinitarian if you read it carefully. And so through this lens, I, I want to make three Trinitarian suggestions for you today uh, if you'd like to keep your fuel tank filled with Numa rather than Sarks. All right? If you're not interested in that, then you can just tune me out right now. But I think, it, I think it'll help you out. So remember, flesh is our default fuel source, Right? It's kind of like without even really thinking about it, just we will instinctively pull up to the old Sarks pump at the end of the day or at the end of a long week or whatever. And we'll just keep grinding life out on, our, on, that, on our own energy. But it takes intentionality. It takes regular practice to break that habit and to instead be filled with God's spirit, to fuel up on God's pneuma. So before I get to these suggestions for you guys, let's do this first. Will you guys do a little exercise with me? Right? Um, if it's helpful for you, you can close your eyes. You don't have to, right? I'm not going to make you do anything super weird. Nobody's staring at you. But it might be helpful for you to close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations, all right? And so take a couple breaths. Just kind of like settle into your chair. Good just to remember to breathe sometimes. So good in and out. Now imagine for a moment that you're, you're sitting in a car, you're in the driver's seat, and this car is your life. So, so you, whatever car pops in your brain that like that's a picture of your life, that's great. If it's a Camaro, that's awesome. If it's a Pinto, that's also awesome. Whatever the car is, just accept it, don't overthink it, right? If it's an SUV, if it's four-door, it doesn't matter. This is your car and this is your life. And you're in the driver's seat, and, and imagine that your whole life is in this car. Your entire life is packed into this car. Your, your family is all in the back seat. Your, your, your career is in the, packed into the trunk. All, all your possessions are strapped to the roof. Maybe you've got some other family members, like in a trailer behind. Your whole life is in this car, and you're, you're going. Now imagine in the passenger seat next to you 
is God. And whichever one kind of fits for you, if you imagine that as God the Father, if you imagine it as being God the Son, Jesus Christ, if you imagine that as the Holy Spirit, right? God is sitting next to you in the car as you're driving. You're just going on this journey. Now imagine as you drive that you start telling God all all about your life. All the ups and the downs. You're telling him about the sorrows and the joys, the successes and the failures the dreams that died, the dreams you have for the future. And, and, he's, and he's just listening. He's just attentively listening. He's nodding at you like he knows. He understands what you're telling him about your life. And then you glance over at God and you, you see him kind of raise up his arm a little bit and he points. He just simply points, inviting you to look down at your dashboard, at your fuel gauge. And when you look down at your fuel gauge, how does it read today? Is it like three quarters full? Maybe it's it's half full? Maybe you just noticed all of a sudden your, your fuel gauge is at like a quarter tank. You should probably start thinking about refueling. Maybe you're like running on empty and you suddenly notice that the fuel light's on and you're wondering how long has that been on? Whatever it is, just just name that level. Just notice it. No judgment. There's nothing to do about it right now. It's just a moment to be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. God, let us see what you see. Let us see our own lives honestly and truly. So you can go ahead and open your eyes if you want to. Now, holding that in your mind, just kind of a rough estimate of how full your tank is right now, maybe one of these three suggestions will kind of uh, resonate with you and be helpful. And the first thing I want to suggest from this text is this, is, is first, identify yourself as a beloved adopted child of the Father. If your fuel tank is low, maybe it's time to stop and, and realign how you identify yourself, what your identity is, right? Paul says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we are honestly, we are so tempted constantly to, to, to define our identity in so many other ways. Jesus himself was tempted with this, to take on an identity that was anything other than the Son of God. Um, Pete Scazzaro, in his um, awesome book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, unpacks the three temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, if you remember that, right after his baptism. He unpacks these three temptations as temptations towards accepting a false identity, to believe that I am what I have, or I am what I do, or I am what other people say about me. And my bet is one of those kind of like, you didn't like it just now, right? I didn't like them as I said them, because they're so alluring. But Jesus was firm in his identity. He knew he was God's beloved son. Abba here, it's an Aramaic word, right? It's an Aramaic word that, that kind of means something along the lines of like papa or daddy, right? 
And oftentimes we pray, and this is not bad, but we pray like Jesus taught us to, our Father who art in heaven. Which I don't know about you, but like when I say that, I, I, it feels far. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like it feels like lofty, especially when I use words like art. That just seems like grammatically incorrect by the way I normally use the word art. But when I say, Papa, right? Or Daddy. It rings differently. It, it means we have this ability to express an intimate, loving relationship with the Father, right? Last night, we had some friends visiting from Atlanta that used to be in our church up in Chapel Hill, and we were talking a bit about adoption last night because they're in the process of adoption, and, and Angela's adopted. If you ever see all of her siblings together, none of them match. They absolutely do not go together in the most wonderful way. It's always funny when people are like, oh, you look so much like your mom, and they just kind of snicker, you know. Thank you. But one of the things Angela has always said, and this came up in our conversation about adoption last night because it's such a powerful reality of what God does for us, is people have asked Angela, like, have you ever been like really insecure as an adopted kid? Like young, when you realized that, did you, you, know, did you feel like abandoned? Did you feel let down? Did you feel unloved? You know, all the things that, that one might imagine. And some people do have those experiences, so I'm not saying that they, they, they shouldn't or they're wrong. But Angela's experience was really different. And she said, no, because I always knew that my adopted parents, what she would consider her real parents, right? My parents wanted me. They said, I choose you. I choose you. And this is what God has said to us. And if you're here today and you don't know him, and if you're not a part of his family, he is still saying this to you. I choose you. And we don't become children of God by sinning less, right? We, we just, we learn to eventually sin less by becoming children of God. This is not about getting our sins out of the way before we're adopted. The adoption is what opens us up to being filled with God's pneuma and living in a new and different way. We don't pretty ourselves up for God, hoping that he'll pick us out of some lineup of orphans, you know? I'm the cutest one. He just looks at us with all of our flaws it says, I choose you. And thankfully, his house is big enough that he fits all of us. David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, which I highly recommend if this is a, a, a sticky one for you at this point, he says, some Christians base their identity on being a sinner. I think they have it wrong, or only half right. You are not simply a sinner, you are deeply loved, and there is all the difference in the world. Sin is still a very real issue. Like, don't, don't misunderstand me. But your sin is not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is that you are deeply loved. And we don't tell ourselves that just one time, Right? I didn't understand that just one time in the summer of 1992, right? But we have, we, it's easy to forget. It's easy to lose that message in the midst of all the noise of the world. So if your fuel is running low, pull up to this pump as often as you need to. And remember that you are deeply loved. So first suggestion, identify yourself as a beloved, adopted child of the Father. Second, make quiet space for the Spirit to testify. Make quiet space for the Spirit to testify. This, by the way, is, is a really key reason for why we leave space for quiet in our worship service. 
Maybe that's weird to you. Maybe you've like, you're coming in and like you, you're hearing music and all this stuff, and then like that moment of silence at the end of worship, maybe that's the most awkward moment of the entire service for you. That's okay. It, it can be weird. I tend to not like silence. I tend to fill it up as fast as I can. But this is why we do this, because sometimes we need to hear the Spirit in that silence. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So imagine a courtroom, right? And if you've, if you've seen movies and stuff, you see this kind of thing, right? But what happens in, tor- in a courtroom is that testimony is given by witnesses, right? And, and, and they say, this is what I saw, right? This is what I heard. This is a story as best and as truly as I know it. Well, this is what the Spirit does. He stands up and he says, okay, you know, this is the best and truest thing that I know about Kent, is that he's loved by God. This is the best and truest thing that I know about Shay, is that she's a daughter of the king. This is the best and truest thing that I know about Jesse, that he's a really great drummer. That was supposed to be funnier. <laughs> there you go, thanks. And he's also really loved by God. Now imagine that this courtroom is really, really noisy, right? There's just a big ruckus, there's a big ruckus. And what does the judge do? Bangs his gavel, goom, 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 goom. Order in the court, order in the court, order in the court so that everybody can be quiet, so that the witness can be heard. Solitude and silence and Sabbath are our ways of demanding order in the court. Everybody else, just be quiet. We wanna hear what the Spirit has to say. We have to demand that silence so that our spirits can hear the eyewitness testimony of the Spirit of God as he tells us what is true. Another quote for you, for you Ruth Haley Barton in Invitation to Solitude and Silence says, in silence, we not only withdraw from the demands of life and the company of others, but also allow the noise of our own thoughts, strivings, and compulsions to settle down so we can hear a truer and more reliable voice. And I love that she put voice in a capital V. And this too is not a one-time thing to, to, to get silence externally, to do our best to get silence internally, but silence is one of those pumps that we can pull up to whenever our fuel gauge is running low. And the more regularly we do this, and it's probably easier the more regularly we do it, the less likely that our tank will run dangerously low. So identify yourself as a beloved adopted child of the Father. Make quiet space for the Spirit to testify. And third, accept suffering as being shared with Christ. This is not so much a fun one. This doesn't mean go cause problems for yourself, right? But Paul says this, this is how he wraps up this whole discussion here. As he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. That means whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to us. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if... Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, oftentimes we can read stuff like this and we think, man, I don't want to be crucified, right? I don't want to be beaten and I don't want to be spit on and I don't want to be falsely accused of stuff and arrested and all this. I don't think that he primarily means those specific sufferings. But this is where the incarnation of Jesus of Nazareth is super important to our theology. It's important for many reasons, but one of them is this, is that when God, the Son, put on human flesh, he entered into human suffering. He just stepped right into the midst of it. 
long before the cross, Jesus experienced the hardship of simply being human. He tasted the sufferings of just living as a mortal being in this broken and fallen world. He knew, he, he knew what it's like. Imagine little Jesus, right? Toddler Jesus skinning his knees, right? You know he did. He experienced relational heartache. Pro- Jesus was a middle schooler at 1.2, guys, right? He was a tween. He went through all of that nonsense, right? All, all the relational drama and all those kinds of things. If someone's your friend one day and he's not the next, and does she love me, does she not, Right? all that kind of stuff. He probably had relatives that were really rude to him and mean to him. He experienced the hardship of just grinding it out, working as a carpenter, learning his father's trade. You know, all the splinters, all the banged thumbs, all the chairs that he thought he did such a good job on, and then his dad says, why don't you sit in that real quick? You know, all just the toil of life. Jesus tasted it. He tasted it. He was fully God, but somehow he's fully man at the same time. And here's the thing. Just because you are filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that the journey is perfectly smooth. There's still bumps in the road. There's still detours that you didn't expect. There's still roadblocks. There's still crazy drivers. There's still storms you gotta drive through. Suffering is just part of being who we are. Eugene Peterson, in A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, says this, a Christian is a person who decides to face and live through suffering. If we do not make that decision, we are endangered in every side. A man or a woman of faith who fails to acknowledge and deal with suffering becomes, at last, either a cynic or a melancholic, or a suicide. This is the pain of it. We can get cynical about about suffering. We can get all woe is me about suffering. We can choose to just finally and ultimately give up in the face of suffering. Or we can follow Christ. We can acknowledge that in the same way that he walked through suffering and still walks with us. And, And in these moments of hard suffering, right? That, those are often the times in my experience that my fuel tank feels the lowest, feels the most depleted, like I just, I can't go another mile. It's those times almost more than ever that I need to just name my suffering. And so, so just even now, and maybe this, some of this is back to when you were imagining yourself driving your, the life of your car, right? That maybe some of the things you would tell Jesus are the things that you're suffering through. And maybe they're not super dramatic, right? Maybe it's not like the end of the world and it's always easy to go, well, I know there's other people that are suffering worse than me, right? But your sufferings are still your sufferings. Your hardships are still your hardships. The things you worry about are still the things you worry about because they matter to your life. But maybe maybe a good next step for you is just to just name those. How are you suffering today? Maybe today in a few moments when we invite you up for prayer, again, if you don't know Jesus and you would like to step into that and you would like to accept his invitation to be adopted into the family of God, we'd love for you to come and someone will walk you through that. Maybe some of you today need to just come and just confess to someone like, 
here's just kind of how I'm suffering. And even if it sounds kind of lame and, you know, it's like first world problems. That's, that's all right. First world problems are still your problems. But then invite Christ to show you where he is in the midst of your suffering. Where is he with you in that? I would suggest a spiritual director can also be a really great help for you if you're in that season of life. If you feel like you're in so much darkness and so much suffering that you can't tell if Jesus is even anywhere near you, he is. But if you can't tell where he is, sometimes a spiritual director is a really, really great help in my experience to help identify that. So identify yourself as a beloved, adopted child of God. And make a quiet space for the Spirit to testify to you about that. And wherever you're suffering, accept that suffering as being shared with Christ, and you'll be fueled for the journey. Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Worship team, you guys can come back up. So let's see, prayer teams, if you're prayer team folks, would you guys just kind of come up and wait along the sides near the front? We've got some folks who are just loving, caring, trained people who would love to pray for you. It's not a counseling session, you know, they're not here, they don't, they don't need to hear everything and they don't have all the answers for you, that's not the point of it. But, but they will stand with you before God this morning to seek him with you on your behalf. So Holy Spirit, we, we come to you as people whose tanks get empty. They just do because as we just live life, we burn up that fuel. And none of us is strong enough to just keep carrying on all the time on our own energy. So, so would you teach us to come and be fueled by you and your spirit? Come Holy Spirit, even now, and, and would, you just, would you just fuel folks up right now? If you, if you are tired and if you are low energy right now, like you can even just open up your hands like you're gonna receive a gift, right? Just hold them in front of you. This is, it's not, it's not super spiritual or magical or anything. It's a physical thing we can do. It's like you're opening up your fuel tank, you know? Push the little button and it pops open and you unscrew the thing. We're just holding our hands open saying, Holy Spirit, fill us right now. So Holy Spirit, do that right now. God, breathe more of your pneuma into folks right now, right where they are, right into those areas of life that are draining them more than anything else. For some of you guys right now, you're, just, you're thinking of a really specific thing that's kind of like the drain. And you wish that God would just remove it. You wish that God would just take it away. You've been asking him why he's not taking it away. And, and for whatever reason, he's not, but he is here to fill you up. 